Hello and welcome to Siwan's Radio. You're listening to the Open Source Lisbon's podcast where you can find talks of prestigious speakers from the biggest open source event in Portugal. Today's episode will be about the elephant in the room in open source technology migrations. A talk by Gustavo Homem, founder and CTO at Solid Angle. Thanks once again uh, to the organizers for putting up such a great event. And thanks to the audience for being here. Uh, I think some, uh, sometimes this event goes a little bit in the direction of, you know, sunsets and rainbows and unicorns. And uh, it is necessary that someone steps in to bring people down to earth. Um, because I know things are going things are going right, but it's not uh, necessarily they are not necessarily as great as they could be or as they should be. So we should look at our successes uh, from different perspectives. If you ask me, why should you care? Uh, isn't like your business going fine? Yes, it is going fine, but doesn't mean that the people that are involved in the open source sector should not have a broader view, even if the business is going well we should not be responsible citizens that like to see things um, in the bigger picture. So we will see about the elephant in the room. Okay, but before that, uh, for the ones that do not know us, maybe just a small introduction about, about how to switch exactly. So our company works with uh, routers, servers, not remote controls usually, as you can see. I have trouble with this. Routers, servers, laptops, okay, desktops, cloud resources. Everything installed automatically and managed uh, using tools like Puppet, Terraform, SSH. We use Linux end-to-end. -end. We are heavy users of open source. We are a very small boutique company. We live like on a Linux bubble. That's the bubble that you can see over there. So in a way, I think that we are privileged. We are very lucky to be in this situation. We are privileged because we were able to find the customers that value these kind of services. So for example, our team uses Linux in all of these products, including the laptops that they use every day. And it's not like a, a common line with Putty. It's really Linux installed in a laptop with KDE, with everything working. They use Linux end-to-end. -end. It's, it's a privilege that all of us can have. <clears throat> Another thing about an introduction to us, this will be very quick, but also this is a business event, so it's mandatory to have a pie chart. So I found this opportunity to have it here. <clears throat> it's like a breakdown of why our customers are our customers. From what we understand, um, I would say that three quarters of them are our customers because they think we have the best tools for the job. The open source tools that we use are the tools that need to be used for things to get done as they should. So this is uh, the biggest slice of the pie in, in our opinion. The second uh, biggest one, which is less than one fourth, is that we have okay tools, 
which are way cheaper. Okay, this is a fair this is a fair reason to use open source. Not all the time open source has the absolute best tools. For example, uh, we would not say that uh, LibreOffice is the Ferrari of productivity. Uh, maybe it's the Volkswagen. But let's see what do most people do with an office suit? Are they race pilots? No, they just do you know boring commuting. They go from one place to the other at a very slow speed. So uh, I, I want to be very, very clear and upfront about this. The open source tools are the best in the job in some cases. In the other cases, they're they are okay, but way, way cheaper. So it's important to not generalize and, and see the things in a case-by-case -case basis. This is our breakdown. I think we are very lucky to have that very big slice of the pie where our, our solutions are considered to be the best. I mean, our, our solutions are your solutions too. They are open source. I mean, the whole DevOps um, work is completely based on open source. And for technical startups, there is no argument. Uh, so, so that's the case. When you go for the more traditional IT infrastructure, that's where you go to that smaller slice of the pie, where things really have to be weighed and put in perspective. Shall we go this way? Shall we go that other way? How much does it cost to go this way? How much does it cost to go that other way? And open source is still very, very, very competitive there. But we are not using it to its, to its full potential. So, but again, uh, this was an introduction to, to, to our business, to who we are. And finally, we start with the main topics of the presentation. Because this is a business event, it's also mandatory to have, you know, a quadrant diagram. Because for business, reality is most of the times two-dimensional, which is complicated already. So let's uh, <clears throat> put two dimensions in business theory here and uh, think of how businesses can go from really small to really large. And let's put another dimension, which is about rationality on how they can go from very rational to quite political. And by political, I mean um, there are places where decisions are not ta taken, taking into account the long-term optimal solution. Uh, but sometimes, you know, personal agendas step in and uh, have a big influence in what gets done. So this is one possible representation. This is obviously not only for business, it's uh, for organizations in general. Uh, and I, I'm sure that many of us here are familiar with this two-dimensional reality. So what else can we say about this? I hope no one is getting uncomfortable there. I think not. All right, so in large institutions, is where end-to-end -end open source is, in theory, very, very profitable for the institution. Because the institution is so large that it cannot be very diverse in proportion to its scale. So you have a size which is large enough to pay for the uh, accommodation of all the diversity, and then you profit by replicating. So in theory, it, if, if it was rightly done, it would be at that side of the spectrum, of the size dimension, that end-to-end -end open source would be very, very profitable. On the other hand, 
on the very small institutions, we have a very high uh, diversity to volume ratio, which kind of kills efficiency, because a small institution usually is quite diverse. Uh, it has not many users, but users have different needs, and usually when it's small, it is kind of a slave of its partners. Like small companies are, are technologically-wise slaves of their customers, they have to do whatever their customers tell them to. Uh, so it's more complicated to integrate open source end-to-end, -end, and in theory, also less profitable because of this diversity over volume ratio. Furthermore, there is a space where interesting things can actually happen. A space where, you know, the institutions are large enough to have a project which is sizable and to purchase things and to fairly reward the, the suppliers. And they are not overly political, so they can think about what they are doing and actually try to look for the best decision. Obviously, that's a very low-density area. The place where businesses or institutions in general are large and rational. I'm not saying it cannot exist, but please name one. Well, maybe BBC. I don't know. I, I quite like the presentation before. BBC is large, right? How many employees? All right. So we can put BBC in there. And uh, we can collect in the next year events as well. Let, let, let's start a collection of these to, to fill up this space. But as far as we know, it's a low density area. <clears throat> so the thing about uh, open source is, as I was saying, sometimes getting the best tools for the job, in some cases. In other cases, which are not the majority of cases we work with, but they are still an important slice, and that we should worry about, because we are all citizens, uh, and we should be responsible citizens, and our country is still wasting a lot of money in, in software which does not bring spectacular added value. There is a thing about cost efficiency that we should worry about. And with this in mind, I would like to share with you um, a plot of software cost over time uh, on a migration to open source software. In this case, this is taken from a real example. Of course, the shape is real, the numbers are not, and the milestones are abstract because this is confidential data. But this refers to uh, traditional infrastructure, which is being migrated to end-to-end -end open source in the infrastructure. What are the first things that we need to note here? It might be shocking, but initially the price increases. And why is it? It's because we are not starting something from scratch. We are doing something new. So it's not like flipping a switch where you can immediately reduce the cost. It's really making a, a, um, an effort, making an investment, so that you can dramatically reduce the cost in the future. And we need to be honest about this. This is how it works. It does not work any other way. Sometimes people think they do, but it doesn't. Every time they try, they fail. And then they say that open source is difficult. It's not. Change is difficult, no matter what you're changing, especially if you are in a large, complex organization. Now, you will have to admit... Wait. 
I'm missing something here. All right, this was supposed to show uh, the profile of an elephant, but it's not very clear, which really, really is, is very similar to the chart uh, that you can see over there. So the elephant in the room that I want to tell you about is this chart. The elephant in the room is, as far as I know, an English expression. I, I hope I'm not wrong. Uh, which refers to something that everyone sees but nobody wants to talk about. It's kind of there, but people try to avoid it. So th the elephant in the room of open source migrations is that you need to pay more upfront so that you save later. The takeaway message is very simple. It's one bullet point. Migrating to open source is investing. And who is going to do that investment for you? Nobody. Whoever is interested in reducing cost has to do that investment. And then the, 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 the cost reduction, it can be dramatic, but we also need to be pragmatic. It, there's no other way than this way. The ones who understand that this works this way with investment, they can make projects work. The others that are expecting a miracle, they can be expecting forever. So the deadly scenes of uh, open source migration projects, and I've been involved in, in many of them. Uh, our company is 13 years old, and we always work with uh, open source migrations. Currently, we do a lot of um, DevOps in tech startups, which is not so much an open source migration, but rather new projects. But we still do uh, traditional infrastructure migration. And there are several common deadly sins. Uh, the first one is skepticism, which is like, are you telling me that we can save 50% or 60% or even more of the cost by migrating to open source? And it's like, ah, that will never work. Therefore, your cost is flat. You don't change anything, and things just remain as they are, because skepticism does not save money. This is a takeaway message. Skepticism does not save money. The second deadly sin, and I promise in this case there are only two, is greed. So the ones who are not skeptical, or the ones who give up on being skeptical, sometimes are like, so I could save 50 or 60% by migrating to open source. Hmm. What if I could save 100%? Nice. That would be even better. There's only a small problem. It takes an infinite amount of time. Therefore, your cost is flat, because meanwhile, you cannot sp stop paying uh, what, you, what you have. So the other takeaway message is greed does not save money. It's sad, but it doesn't. So, if you want to save money on, on the upfront investment for migration, the end result is that you are going to be paying the same money that you were paying because you just cannot migrate without investing. I will go in more detail. I might be biased, but I would say that statistically speaking, it's more likely to find greed and skepticism uh, 
in, you know, large political institutions, including companies. Um, <clears throat> why do I bother if we usually don't work with these uh, kind of institutions? Well, we need to worry about this. It's also about uh, our country. We are not totally protected from the crisis that we have. We cannot take for granted uh, the situation that we have right now. And it's like when it's public institutions spending too much money, it's public money. We, we are paying that with our taxes. And when it's, you know, private institutions that work in markets which are not really, really subject to competitive pressure, let's say markets with few players, utilities, telcos, you know, you cannot technically say it's public money, but it's certainly money from the public. Everyone needs those services, everyone is paying, and if they are throwing money out in software which is not spectacular, we are all paying the bill anyway in the end. Kind of private, not completely private in that regard. So what are the famous last words of open source migration projects? And famous last words is, you know, the last things that we say before we die. Some of the famous last words which are said before the projects fail forever. Some famous last words is the remote doesn't work. It works sometimes. So for the skepticism, we have that would never work here. This is very famous and it's perhaps the most common uh, thing to hear when you go to traditional conservative places. But the others are more funny when it comes to greed. Because you have, for example, I guess you, you might be familiar with this. And I guess you know the answer. <laughs> uh, but this question is still asked. And other famous last words is, yeah, we will do the maintenance ourselves. We've been through this. Like you put a project, it works, and then we have no budget for maintenance, but we do it ourselves. Little detail, we are not familiar with this. Our team has uh, 15 years of experience with Windows, but we are going to maintain by ourselves this amazing open source project. And then it dies, obviously. We've seen, we've seen this in practice. It's not nice to see. I also find this uh, rather amusing. We have 5K uh, for a training program. So the same team that has 15 years of experience with managing Windows systems uh, is going to be trained uh, for a couple of weeks and they will be perfectly capable of managing everything, you know, uh, Samba, LDAP, uh, Ubuntu servers, Ubuntu desktops, everything integrated with domain joining, with Samba shares, with uh, Linux policies, they will do all by themselves with 5K. This year, we even refused work uh, because, um, you know, this kind of project is doomed to fail and uh, if they want to fail, it's like, please, fail alone. We don't want even to be near. But this, this still happens and, um, and popular or not, uh, this is a message I want to broadcast. This is not how you, this is not how you do things. You can, you can still save 50% of the 400,000 you pay per year, imagine, in an average uh, institution, 
and spend money, spend enough money on consulting that you can save that, but you can do it professionally in a way that will, it will not fail. There's also a very funny one that we've seen on a very large uh, Portuguese company, which is let's have a trial with five PCs and put on those five PCs all the complexity that you can imagine from all the organization that has like 20,000 PCs. Let's put all the, all the scenarios in the five PCs and you do, the, do it for us in a pilot and then it's fine. And then, so long, farewell, it was nice to see you. This didn't work, uh, obviously. Um, as far as I know, the project never took off. What, what, what is here, uh, what is the takeaway message here is that if you want to migrate to open source, you need to be professional. You cannot be taken over by skepticism or greed. You need to plan your project, you need to do it right, and you need to pay. That's it. But you're going to save a lot. Well, this is, was just to say that it, it, really, it really looks like trolling, but uh, everything which is here is uh, taken from evidence. We've, we've, we've seen this uh, during the last year, so it's reality. I hope this reality fades away and it never comes back, but uh, we have seen it. So, that said, let's go back to the bubble. This bubble where we work um, is hiring. So, our team is growing. Uh, thankfully, we have more work than we can handle right now. Um, I apologize for the cocky slide, but we really want to say that if you think you are a good Linux practitioner, if you want to do Linux end-to-end, -end, please give us a shout uh, and we will be very happy to interview you. We have a nice office at the Lisbon city center, but I warn you that uh, we are a bit crazy. Last time we moved office, we had a, a custom design table that was four meters long and it took two cranes to put it uh, uh, where it should be because the first one didn't work. So the, the DevOps of box moving and of, of table lifting is not still very optimized on our side. And uh, if you work for us, you might, you might need to help. Thank you very much. Uh, please, 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 please feel free to contact me and to check our website. All right? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts so you never miss out any of our episodes. Once again, many thanks and see you next time.